I'm very excited about our third message in the series of School of the Desert. Um, today's message is titled, Leaving the Desert. How many of you know sooner or later you've got you to gotta leave that place? If you don't leave that place, you never get to the place where God has prepared you to be to do the work that he's asked you to do. So we're going to find out what does it take to leave the desert? What happens? What What's the order of things? What is the, what's the roadmap? Uh, I've made a lot of jokes in my lifetime about men not wanting to ask for directions, but I think that it's very, very clear that we need to find out from the Word of God what the map says, and uh, we need to follow those instructions. So, School of the Desert, Message 3, Leaving the Desert. Turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. And this is a passage of Scripture about the condition that God found Jacob in. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. It says, He found him in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And that was in the desert. Amen. God does special things in the desert. I think we've learned that already. So as I said, this scripture pertains to the condition that God found Jacob in and showered him with his love and his protection. Now I want to give you a reminder from the first message that we preached that the Hebrew language is full of fascinating revelations, yet few believers know what they are. For example, a Christian who reads an English Bible wouldn't realize that the Hebrew word for desert and the Hebrew word for speaking are the same Hebrew word translated in English as, as we said earlier, M-D-B-R. Capital M, capital D, capital B, capital R. It's difficult to understand how you would have a word uh, like that with four capital letters, but that's Hebrew for you. Uh, by inserting different vowels into this Hebrew word, we pronounce desert as midbar. You can spell it then, M-E-E-D-B-A-R, Medbar, Hebrew word for desert. And speaking is Medabar, M-E-D-A-B-E-R. So you got Medbar and Medabar. Do you see how closely related those two words are? Why? Because God speaks in the desert. He speaks to his children in the desert. It's no coincidence that these two words are one, since it's the most desolate places where God has made his most significant appearances and where he speaks into the lives of his people. We've spent the last two weeks availing ourselves to what I have come to know as the richness of the desert experience. Now, now it's time to avail ourselves to the examples in the Bible that will reveal the directions for leaving the desert. After all, isn't the desert the place of preparation for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in our lives in places other than the desert. The desert prepares us for the work that God has for us in other places, whatever shape or form that may take. In other words, we must be careful to understand that meeting with God in the desert can become so precious in our lives that we might not want to leave. I mean, anytime you come into the presence of God, that becomes a precious and powerful place. I can understand why 
people would not want to leave that place to go find the plow to put their hands on because, look, I remember as a child in my grandmother's farm, Grandmother Craven, uh, they plowed those fields, right? And uh, I, I believe that I received uh, my calling in my life after picking one row of cotton. I think that God, you know, I wanted God to give me something else to do besides pick cotton. And if you think I don't understand what it means to pick cotton, I used to tell the guys that work for me, I say, now we're picking, now we're in high cotton now. And people would ask me, what, what does that mean? I said, obviously, you've never picked cotton on the low side of a bush. It's back-breaking work to bend over and pick cotton, low cotton, but high cotton, you can stand up and pick it. Does that make sense to you? So it's easy to understand why some people might not want to leave the presence of God to go get behind a plow and get to work. Amen? However, if we don't leave the desert, how can we fulfill God's plan for our lives by doing the work he spent time preparing us to complete? If you don't believe that this can be a problem, all you have to do is look at Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. Now, how many of you know if, when Jesus went up into a mountain, it wasn't in some green lush place, it was a mountain in the desert. Does that make sense to you? Watch this with me. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. How do you know this is a supernatural manifestation before three of the disciples? Does that make sense? And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could have bleached them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. How many of you know that makes this place special? Elijah's there, Moses is there, and Jesus is there. And when they appear, leave it to the human beings in that little circle there to misinterpret what's going on. Watch with me. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Well, maybe and maybe not. <laughs> Why? Because he, he said, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That goes to show you the place that Moses and Elijah held in the lives of the Israelites. But in reality... Those two men, Moses and Elijah, would be the first to tell you that they should not have been included in the conversation the way they included Jesus. Does that make sense? Neither one of those other two men died on the cross for your sins, but Jesus did. Amen? So, what did they do? And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. You know, when you're afraid, sometimes it's best to just keep quiet. <laughs> you know, stick with God and keep quiet. But no, he, he, had to, he had to speak. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And that's not a bad thing. Amen? He said, well, what in the world did the tents signify? The tents signified a step towards uh, them gathering a crowd and getting a bunch of people together and then building more permanent structures. Tents are temporary structures, but they are the first step towards making permanent structures. Does that make sense to you? I believe if Jesus and God had not intervened, those men would have loved to have built three temples on top of that mountain, one to Jesus, one to Moses, and one to Elijah. 
And God intervened and stopped them. But that's human nature for you, right? But Jesus Christ holds a higher place in the lives of people than Moses or Elijah. So with this warning in mind, let's return to the children of Israel for our inspiration for leaving the desert. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And who really needed to know that answer? The children of Israel did, right? Verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So a transition was about to take place. A transition. Transition is defined by Webster's Dictionary as the period of passing from one condition or form or stage or activity or place, etc., to another condition or form or stage or activity or place, etc., There are numerous transitions in the Bible. Two major transitions that took place for the people of God went like this. The first one was found in Deuteronomy chapter 34, moving into Joshua chapter 1, and a great deal of information is found about that transition for the children of Israel over in Joshua chapter 3. We don't have time to read three chapters from the Bible. But make note, Deuteronomy chapter 34, Joshua chapter 1, and Joshua chapter 3, should be visited by the people of God for the sake of this message. Amen? Now, the second great, big, huge, giant transition for mankind is recorded in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Two full chapters need to be visited by the children of God to be refreshed and to know what God moved the people, his people through. All right, in both instances, a major spiritual transition took place that took God's children from one realm of living to another realm of life. Think about that. For the children of Israel was moving them from the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness, coming out of the desert and entering into the promised land, right? But in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, it was Jesus Christ, death on the cross, his resurrection, amen? His death on the cross, his resurrection, And then he was seen by many for 40 days. And then he ascended to the Father. After that, there were instructions given, go to Jerusalem and tarry there, wait there. There's something about that pattern that we need to pay close attention to. In both instances, the mission on earth for the individuals involved was finished in order for a new purpose to begin. But the impact, the power, and the anointing remained. That's important. Make a mental note of that or write it down. In both instances, an old transition was ended, a waiting period occurred, and a new transition took place. For example, from Moses to Joshua, from the wilderness to the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see the first four verses where God took Moses upon the mountain to allow Moses to see the promised land but not enter it. Has that story ever bewildered you? It's bewildered a lot of people. It was because Moses' disobedience of striking a rock with his staff instead of speaking to the rock to yield water that caused God to punish Moses by not allowing Moses to enter the promised land. Here we see the old generation in thinking, coming to its timely death and a new leader and a new generation getting ready to take what God had promised 
to them, for them. In the remaining verses within chapter 34, we now see that Moses had died at 120 years old with his physical health and vision intact. It is in these scriptures that we discover that the Lord buried Moses at the point where nobody knew where Moses was buried. I find it interesting that the scriptures explicitly state that Moses was buried, but nobody knew where. You ever ask yourself why? Even though the scripture does not state why God buried Moses in this fashion, I can't help but feel that the reason God buried Moses in this fashion was to break a spirit and mentality of nostalgia and yearning and worshiping the past. What other reason? For what other reason? What other reason? Man, those people were attached to that man. Does that make sense to you? They were attached to him. And they would have made a shrine out of his burial place that God had not hidden it. Just as Moses died and Joshua took over, old movements of God pass and new moves of God come shortly thereafter. I also can't help but believe that it was God's will for Moses to enter the promised land, but Moses' sin, which was an out-of-control temper, kept him out. In the promised land, a new work and a new way of God's sovereign move was going to take place. It's possible that what Moses showed by striking the rock for water instead of speaking to the rock to receive water was that Moses was not open to new ways of doing things. Well, say, Brother Dennis, how in the world do you get that? You know, we've got to back up and examine all the details of what unfolded. Moses was angry and he struck a rock that he could have just as easily spoke to and got the same results. He could have got water out of the rock without losing his temper. And if you think about the life of Moses, think back about what got him in trouble in Egypt was he lost his temper and took a man's life. Then you fast forward to the day where God had given him instructions. All he needed to do was speak to the rock, but he was angry. At the moment, if you study the passage of Scripture that pertained to this subject, you find out that he's angry with God, he's angry with the people, he's angry with, once again, all of the complaints about what God's not doing. And he strikes the rock with his staff instead of speaking to the rock with his staff. And it cost him dearly. But... How many of you know that Moses, you know, he he survived that. I mean, he's in a place with God that him and Elijah can come back in the four Gospels and appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't think he did too poorly. And God let him see the promised land before he died. And God kept his health intact and his strength intact until he was 120 years old. Was it good that he lost his temper? No. Was it good that he didn't get into the promised land or see the promised land before he died or experience the promised land before he died? All of that, to me, saddens my heart. I'm a simple man. I'm not complicated. And it saddens my heart for a man who led the children of Israel for 40 years. But God knows what he's doing, amen? God knows what he's doing. Were these followers of God in the past movement, in some cases, they follow the move itself instead of the God that brought the movement. That's what I was talking about earlier. 
You know, sometimes people, even like Moses, and in Moses' place, they can't let go of the way things used to be done. All the way up to the point where he struck that rock with a staff, he had always been able to use that staff to split seas. That staff became serpents. And, and all of these things that Moses was used to, that was different. Now God said, speak to the rock. No, Moses did what he was used to doing. He struck the rock with the staff. That up to that point, it always represented the power of God and what God was doing. Now God was going to do something different, and Moses didn't honor that. Does that make sense? So after Moses died, Joshua and the Israelites went through a grieving and mourning period for 30 days. It was in this time of transition where Joshua took over, and the Israelites remembered and laid to rest the works of Moses and prepared themselves for the new work of Joshua. Now, I, I want to do something here. There's just 12 things I want to say. 12 things I don't want to say from the Word of God. So their lessons learned over these 40 years in the wilderness, they're found in spiritual principles taught in the Word of God by the number 40. I started looking for things in the Word of God that would be signs for us to know what we're supposed to do next, and 40 kept coming up over and over and over again. So what does it teach me? One. The first point, look for the sign from the Lord that your wilderness is ending. Does that not make sense? How many of you want, know you want to leave on time? You know, you want to get it right. You want to get the message. You want to get prepared. Then you want to leave the wilderness on time. We don't want to leave the wilderness late. We don't want to leave the desert late. Does that make sense? So the first thing I wrote was look for a sign from the Lord that your wilderness is ending. And the first mention I found of anything like this was in Genesis chapter 8 verse 6 was with Noah in his ark at the end of 40 days. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. And if you go to refresh yourself on that story, you're going to find out that they didn't, he didn't find out that there was dry land right away, but he started looking when? At the end of 40 days, he started looking. Is it time? Is there dry land? Is it time to get off of this boat? How many of you understand that being on the ark was not necessarily a pleasant experience? I mean, things on an ark, that's like a zoo. If you don't clean the zoo, if you don't clean the ark, if you don't shovel out a lot of stuff, it gets real nasty in there, right? And being on the ark was a lot of work. It wasn't as much fun as people think it might have been, petting animals, being on a floating petting zoo for all that time, right? So, but after 40, and I want you to pay attention to that, after 40 days, they started looking, is it time? Is it time to get ready to get off the boat and, and move on with the next phase of life? He waited until he saw the sign of land that he needed. He kept looking until he saw the sign of land when a dove finally brought back an olive branch. Number two, anticipate a shift from mourning to joy. Wow. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 3. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many required, uh, how many required for embalming, and the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Wept for who? Joseph. You know, Joseph was, um, was, what a powerful story. He rose to be second in command of all of Egypt, the entire empire. And yet his own 
Egyptian people, the servants that worked with him, weren't allowed to eat at the same table with him because he was an Israelite. And they were Egyptians, and Egyptians weren't allowed to share a dining table with an Israelite. Even though he saved, with God's hand, he saved that nation with the plan that God gave him, right? And I think it's amazing that he couldn't even dine with those people, all right? But biblically, mourning was a set period of time. It was 40 days. It wasn't only 40 days there. It, 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 I think it's coincidental that it, take, it took uh, 40 days to embalm a body because 40 days of mourning for the lives of people was widely accepted throughout the known world at that time. Biblically, mourning has a set period of time. They mourned the loss of Joseph for 40 days. Many of us are going through mourning seasons. Many of us are. Right now in this room, with a handful of people that are here, you can think about the people you know that are mourning right now. Listen carefully. Many of us are going through mourning seasons. However, let God break you from mourning into dancing during the next 40 days. Rebuke death over your life. Now you get a little hint about where I'm heading with this. You can dedicate 40 days of your life to hearing the will of God, to getting in touch with God, for having vision renewed in your life, for having a fresh dedication of your life to God, for putting yourself in a position to hear from God, to get directions from God, to get leadership, divine leadership from the Holy Ghost anytime you want. And before we're finished today, you're going to see that there's a pattern of the Word of God for using 40 days to do that. My son-in-law, Isaac, will tell you even that if you do anything for 40 days, you've made a habit out of it. So if we choose to do something good for 40 days, it's probably going to be with you for life. All right. And rebuke death over your life. That's what I was talking about here. Anticipate a shift from mourning to joy and rebuke death over your life. Number three. Receive revelation regarding God's covenant plan for your future. In Exodus 24, 18, Moses entered the cloud and went up on a mountain, and Moses was on the mountain how many days and nights? Forty. That's where he received the Ten Commandments from God. I'm telling you, very special things happen in 40-day periods. The Word of God is replete with it. Number four, see the promise. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after how long? Forty days. You don't have to be looking at the Scripture. No, 40 is about to come uh, out of the passage of Scripture. Amen? And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They went out and spied the land. During this time, we need to let God reveal the intricacies of his promises. However, do not let the vision of war overtake you. I will tell you this. The children of Israel, having respectful fear for the enemy wasn't wrong. It was just not having enough respect for God was the problem. Because yes, there were giants in the land, there was going to be battles. There, were going to be, there was going to be war. There was going to be battles. But God was going to be with the children of Israel. 
Caleb and Joshua are the only two that cried out, yes, there are giants in the land, but we are well able with God to overcome them. Amen? So when you're seeking to see the promises of God fulfilled in your life, take some time, set aside for you and God, and one of the things that you need to make a part of your prayer life is seeing the promises of God and how they are to be manifest for you and in your life. Number five, see a time of coming spiritual responsibility so we can steward the riches that God has to release to us in the future. I believe that the next 40 days is a key, a key time to look at the stewardship issues of our lives at Life Spring Bible Church and in the church and in the body of Christ in America. We're going to have to get this correct because we can't afford to get it wrong. The price is too high and there's much at stake. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, when the children of Israel got it wrong, this is what the word of God said. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I don't think there's any way to calculate today just how many people died because they missed God while wandering around in the desert for 40 years. There were a lot of graves dug. We can't afford to get this wrong. As individuals, and I'm encouraging you, as individuals, if we can set aside the next 40 days to seek after God, maybe miss a few meals, amen? Maybe give up a few of them TV shows, you know, that are out there that have a grip on the lives of some people. Set those aside and spend some time before God at the mercy seat, amen, in the throne room of God, getting a hold of the Lord for the next 40 days and let him transform your life. There's never been a better time for this, never. These are strange days we're living in. It isn't like, you know, it isn't like when I was a kid, if I had a microwave oven, a freezer, and some hot pockets, life was good, you know? Even in grocery stores, have you noticed that supply chains have been, they've been transformed a little bit. It is not unusual to go into the grocery stores in America and see empty shelves in portions of the store. Now, isn't that different? It's a different time, isn't it? I'm telling you, there's never been a better time in your life to set aside 40 days. You say, well, Brother Dennis, why 40 days? You know, uh, the election's coming up in, you know, in this many days. You know, I want you to start understanding something here for a minute. The election isn't the only thing God is concerned with in this world. That's not the only thing on his slate, amen? There are a lot of things that need to be taken care of long before the election happens, amen? The people of God need to obey his word. They need to, they need to follow his guidance. They need to follow his directions. They need to follow his map, amen? And the next 40 days could be crucial for America, and that's long before the, that, that, there's time left before the election. Let's concentrate on everything that God wants to do, Amen? It's not just about the election. Is the election important? Yeah, elections are always important. Amen? But they're not God's only focus. It's not the apple of God's eye. The election is not the apple of God's eye. You're the apple of God's eye. Amen? Yeah, that's right. You can get happy about that. Yeah. All right? All right, so what is the next thing we need to do? Number six, we need to seek a time of purity. Over the next 40 days, amen? 
Deuteronomy 9 and 18 says, And I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, have I made this up? Am I making this up? No, I'm not making it up. 40 just keeps showing up over and over and over and over again, right? And I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And what was happening here? Moses was interceding for about 4 million people that were down at the base of the mountain backsliding at the moment that he was up there praying, right? So don't tell me that we as a body cannot set aside the next 40 days to pray and maybe miss some meals and maybe give up a few other things that we've been attached to for so long to pray for a lost and dying world. Anymore, I'm not going to talk about us just doing what we're doing for the American church. I mean, there are people listening to us all over the world now. It's humbling. It's humbling. It's humbling. But God's doing a great work. More gospels being preached today in the world than any time in the history of mankind. Mark my word. Mark my word. One key reason for wilderness times is for use to change our mind and think the way God thinks. Ooh. One key reason for wilderness times is for the use to change our mind, is used to change our mind and the way we think, to change it the way God thinks. Amen? Number seven, seek a time of mercy and provision. 1 Kings 19, verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food. How long? Forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Know that past mistakes can be rectified quickly. Wait for the still and small voice. You know, Elijah didn't get everything perfect in his lifetime. And Moses didn't get everything perfect in his lifetime, and yet they were both honored to appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ. That's quite an honor, right? Now, even they understood that the three disciples that were standing there gave too much credit to Moses and too much credit to Elijah and didn't give enough credit because Jesus, the Son of God, was in their midst. You know, we don't always get it right. Say, well, what did Elijah? What, one of the things that Elijah did wrong was he took a stand against the priests, you know, of, of all those other gods, and he ended up having all of them killed. Once God manifested himself at that altar and licked all the water up out of the trough and then burned the altar, he burned the, the, uh, everything that was put on it, all the wood and everything, and it was a dry hole in the ground when God was finished with it. After they'd poured barrel of water and barrel of water and barrel of water. And after the other priests had called about to their gods all the morning long till the middle of the day, they beat themselves with whips and did all kinds of things trying to get their god to respond. That those gods could, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't even exist compared to God Almighty. They didn't show up. They didn't burn anything. They, they were useless to those priests. And then Elijah said, gather them all up and kill them, every one of them. And then, and how many of them was? It's over 100. Yeah, that he had killed. And then one woman named Jezebel threatened his life, and he fled, and he ran in fear. He wasn't afraid of the 100-something priests that he had killed, but that one woman, Jezebel, she must have been one bad person, and she was. All you got to do is look her up in the Word of God and read about her. Right? 
And so Jezebel threatened his life, so he fled and ran in fear and he, until he was tired, until he was exhausted. And he, all he focused on at that moment was that he was being pursued and that, that Jezebel wanted to have his life taken from him. So what did God do? God had him rest. Every now and then you need a nap, right? You need a little rest, right? And you need a little nourishment, right? And so then God said, take another nap. And he took another nap. And he got up and he ate again, right? And so he'd had another nap and he ate again. And he went on the nourishment and the energy of that food that God provided for him for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Wow. Then he went to a place where he heard the still, small voice of God. And it changed everything for him doesn't take long for God to fix things when they go wrong. All we got to do is turn to him, amen? It doesn't take long for God to fix things. All right, number eight. See yourselves overcoming giants. So where are we going to go for this one? See yourself overcoming giants. I think this is interesting. Why did I go there? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 16 says, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself how many days? 40 days. Well, you shouldn't even have to think twice about the answer to those questions now. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days. Morning and evening, Goliath taunted God's covenant people for 40 days. 40 days. It's time to draw a line in the sand, amen, for 40 days. The devil will try to convince you during your wilderness season that he will overcome you. Isn't that the promise that... uh, that the giant made, send your champion out. And if I kill him, uh, you serve us. If he kills me, we'll serve you. Forty days, he gave the exact same speech every day. Must have been pretty effective because for 40 days, the children of Israel trembled before him and champions from Israel wouldn't go out and fight him. That's a whole nother story. The devil will try to convince you during your wilderness season that he will overcome you. Uh-uh. Amen? Uh Uh-uh. He might speak, but do not believe his lies. Number nine, set a time of intercession. Ezekiel 4 and 6. This is all about coming out of the desert, amen? Ezekiel 4 and 6. And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah for how long? Forty days, sheriff. (laughs) Forty days, right? I have laid on you a day for each year, which is in reverse now. God's reversing something, right? He's he's exemplifying the 40 years that were spent in the wilderness now down to 40 days that he will bear this burden for Judah. Ezekiel interceded for Judah for 40 days. So what I'm telling you, what are we talking about? Talking about leaving the desert. How do you get ready to leave the desert? I'm telling you, you can leave the desert. Probably every single solitary one of us in the next 40 days. Say, well, what do you mean, brother? I'm not limiting this. Over the next 40 days, God can crush what's going on in this world. Amen? God can change everything. If the body of Christ gets a hold of this message and dedicates the next 40 days to seeking his face the way the word of God lays out, everything can change and most likely everything will. 
either, I'll tell you it again, either Jesus is going to come back and get us soon, or we're going to experience the greatest revival that you've ever seen in your lifetime or ever heard about. Amen? Amen? Can you live with that? You have no idea what God's about to do next. You have no idea. You need, to, you need to spend 40 days just getting ready for it. Amen? What was happening a, a year ago, we were in the middle of the summer, we started pastoring the church. It was a time of what? Transition. It was a time of transition, right? And so we made all kinds of plans, you know, and then 2020 hit and the pandemic uh, uh, blew all up and, and a lot of people just got scared. A lot of people just got scared, right? So men and women of God that are in leadership all across this world rising up saying, God, what do you want us to do? God's telling the leadership of the church today to preach the unadulterated and unwatered down word of God. Amen? Get a hold of his vision, his plan, his way of doing things. Repent, amen, and turn to him and let him kill this thing. So look. I'm telling you, you, you know, it was announced earlier. You don't know what it means to me that next Sunday we'll be together again. This, this old pastor, I'm a, I'm a person that I want to be with the people I shepherd. I have done everything I believe that God has told me to do during this time. I've been obedient. But I'm telling you, if you think it hasn't been painful, painful for me, you're mistaken. It's been painful for me as a pastor. Shepherds like to be with the sheep they're trying to flock or the flock they're trying to lead. Amen? They're trying to guide and all. And, and, and one of the things that we like to do at this church is disciple men and women, people of God, in his word. You can't do that when you're separated easily. All right, quickly. Um, so we set a time of intercession. All right, eat. Ezekiel interceded for Judah for 40 days. Number 10, received lessons of spiritual discipline. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. And when he had fasted, how long? 40 days and 40 nights. And that was Jesus. Amen. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Jesus fasted during his wilderness time so he could stay alert to the enemy. Jesus fasted during his wilderness time so he could stay alert. Uh, that, that line technically is not part of that scripture. I just didn't hit the enter button and drop it down one line in my own notes. Ask God to show you his discipline for you for this 40 days. What, what, what do you want me to do? I, I'm not saying everybody out in here ought to go and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, unless God laid that on your heart, I mean, whatever. Um, it, that's tough. And, and, and God may do that. God may lay that on the hearts of some. Um, I'm hesitant to mention this, but um, I was in Nome. I was pastoring a church, and I had a full-time job. So I had two full-time jobs, right? If I was awake, I was working. Does that make sense? And yet God laid it on my heart. It's some, and it's something I wanted to do for God. Listen carefully, and I'll give you the, the details of this quickly. Um, I had it in my heart. I wanted to fast solid food for 40 days and 40 nights. So um, at midday, in the middle of the day, because I'm working two full-time jobs, you know, not partaking of any food at all or any nourishment, uh, I knew would be unwise. Does that make sense to you? 
So uh, about noon every day, I, I had some vitamin supplements, and I had a protein shake, and I'd wash down those vitamins with that protein shake, and the rest of the day I had water. That was it. And 40 days later, all kinds of things were different. Does that make sense to you? Now, so I'm, I'm trying to tell you, God's not going to lay that on the heart of every person in the sound of my voice, but he may lay it on the hearts of some, you know. He may even tell you a different way to do it. All I'm saying is just obey God. Do what he's leading you to do. And I'm telling you, for some people, if they just set aside the next 40 days to be conscious of and pray and reach out to God, that's a major step in the lives of some people. Some people don't talk to God because they're afraid of what he's going to say back to them. And you don't have to fear him. He has nothing but your best interest in heart and mind. God himself. You don't have to fear what he would say to you. So, ask God to show you his discipline for you for this next 40 days. Amen? And then number 11, recognize that there's a host of heaven available to us even in the wilderness. Let the host of heaven aid you. Mark chapter 1, verse 13 says, And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast. And who ministered to him? The angels ministered to him. Amen? All right. Um, you know, that's something I've begun to pray uh, for, for the children, is that God would teach them, God would reveal himself to them at an early age, and God would watch over them, protect them, and assign angels to watch over them. Amen? And number 12, submit to God. When Jesus entered into the wilderness, he immediately submitted himself to God. From, his, or from this place of submission, he was able to resist the enemy. He resisted presumption. I'd have to take you there and, and walk you through it. But he resisted presumption. He resisted pride. He resisted the lust of the eyes. He resisted the promise of grandeur. He entered the wilderness filled with the Spirit, but he came out with power. Remember that. He came out with power. He was able to defeat the devil with the written word of God alone. Now think about that. If Jesus had used any other weapons at his disposal, he would have surpassed what we stood a chance of being able to do. But he defeated the devil with the written word of God just the same way we can do it. So over the next 40 days, feast on the word of God like you've never done before in your life. Amen? So there are dynamic tech takeaways here. Number one, expect a visitation. Acts 1 verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He visited with them. Amen? And the Bible says that he went away and then who came? Who took Jesus' place in this world? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who talks to us, lives within us, teaches us. He's a teacher. He's a comforter. Amen? He's all of those things. Amen? Jesus Christ, when he was in a fleshly body, could, was only in one place at one time. When he was in a fleshly body, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Amen? Expect a visitation from him. Jesus presented himself to his disciples after he had suffered death. He spoke things to them for 40 days pertaining to the kingdom of God. Ask the Lord to bring kingdom revelation to you in these next 40 days. The next thing, receive power. Luke chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 say, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned 
in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by God. Here's what I'm going to tell you. In the next 40 days, not only things are going to change in your life, but it's going to change in the church in this world. Over the next 40 days, look for what the Holy Spirit wants to do through the church in the next 40 days. That's my challenge to you. Look for it. Now, what is power? Power is the ability to act or produce an effect. Power also signifies the possession of authority that an individual has over others. How many of you know that we need to exercise some authority in prayer over the direction of other people's lives that affect ours? Amen? Do you know Jesus changed everything? Are there inequities in the world? Yes. Can you say amen? There are. Is Jesus not the great equalizer? Jesus is the great equalizer. Amen? All of these things that we want in this world having to do with justice and equity, only Jesus really can produce it. You know? I'm willing to tell you I I need change in my own life, but I can't get it without Jesus. Amen? All right. So, uh, he's also raising up leadership, new and fresh, and developing people's gifting in a new way. This will give us dominion in the earth. Even though you might now feel weak, Get ready to receive power. You know, we're not, I, I knew a group, it grew to be in the thousands in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I've been moving forward. I'm getting so excited. I've been shoving this stand forward. They wanted to, uh, part of their doctrinal beliefs was they were going to believe the world perfect and, and usher in the return of Christ. And that's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. You're not, I don't care how much faith we ever get, we're not going to believe the world perfect in usher in. The Bible does not say that. It's not there. It's not in the Bible, right? But we can have a vast effect on this world. Do not accept anything less than what God wants to happen in this world. Amen? Do not exercise less faith because you go, well, throw up your hands and say, well, if Brother Dennis says we can't believe this world perfect, you know, I mean, what good is it? No, no, no. We should live our lives and let our faith grow and have a positive effect on this world around us. Amen? Even though you might now feel weak, get ready to receive power. Let your wilderness time develop a new strength and a power within you. He gives us power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Last point, be transformed. What would that that look like? What would that look like? You know, I came across this passage of Scripture, and it has to do with Solomon as a matter of fact, it comes from the Song of Solomon. And here's, here's, what it, here's what it says. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. A matter of fact, I, I just want to read Joel 2, 22 first. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the, three bears her, the tree bears her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield her strength, or their strength, in Joel 2, 22. And then I fell upon Song of Solomon 3, 6 through 10. Picture this, if you will. You're looking out across the desert and you see Solomon's party coming in your direction. And here's how it's described. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. What is that coming up from where? The wilderness. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? 
with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. They saw Solomon's party or group coming from the desert. All right? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Isn't that kind of amazing? You ever seen the commercial? Subaru. You know, Subaru commercial. Love is what makes a Subaru. That's what their commercials. I, I don't like it. I don't like it because love doesn't make a Subaru. Only the love of God changes people. Amen? Um, but it's kind, of a nifty, it's kind of a nifty caption. It catches the... Why? Because everybody, everybody likes love. Everybody loves love, right? All right? But there, there are four things here, and, and that's it. We're praying. We're done. There were pillars of silver, and if you study the Word of God, you understand that pillars of silver represents redemption. All of these things were in this caravan coming forward. There was a support of gold. That's the foundations. It represents the foundations of faith. There was a seat of purple, which represented heavenly position. All of this was about Solomon's life, right? And it was paved with love, right? Held together by love. And there was one other thing that I wanted to share, and we're going to pray together. We'll close for the day. Are you going to get ready in the next 40 days for what God's wanting to do? That's what we need to do. We need a commitment from the children of God in this world to spend the next 40 days getting ready for this thing to to change and for the revival to really break free. Amen? All right? Notice this. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert. Expert in war. Remember that phrase, expert in war each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. Why am, I, why am I saying that? All the days of Solomon's life, Israel was at peace. But they had a military prepared to respond 24 hours a day to any threat to the nation. All the days of Solomon's life. So there's nothing wrong with being militarily prepared spiritually and physically, amen, and even mentally for any threat that would come to the child of God's life. Amen? Amen? Isn't that important? What are we asking for? 40 days. We're asking for 40 days to get ready. Say, so, well, what am I really seeking God for? What are we talking about? We're not anointing. We're talking about power. Amen. We're talking about a realization of authority because authority is greater than power. Amen. I may not have the power to stop a semi-tractor trailer barreling down at me, you know, at 60 miles an hour by holding up my hand. I may not have the power to stop that truck. But as a police officer with a badge and a uniform and those things, police officers have authority. And so if he steps aside and lets the truck go by, he has the authority to bring power to bear. He gets on the radio, calls all of his co-workers, and they go and stop the truck. 
Amen? It, it's okay if you don't realize the power in your life, but you need to understand the authority that's in your life. You may not have the power to stop things from going on around you, but you have the authority in the name of Jesus to pray and come against things in your life and things in your country, all right? All right, so now praise God. Get ready, 40 days, amen? We're going to talk about this a lot over the next 40 days. Just get ready, amen? Just get ready. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you once again. Lord, I so often talk to you about Last Spring Bible Church, but more and more and more you keep reminding me that I am speaking to the body of Christ in this world, and I'm praying for the body of Christ. I'm not asking you to promote Life Spring Bible Church. I am asking you to promote the body of Christ, though, Father. Disciple us, strengthen us, teach us your word, inspire us. Father, uh, just cause uh, like electricity flowing through us, Father. In Jesus' name, let your spirit rise up on the inside of us, Father, and cause us to understand our authority in the use of the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that we'll be obedient to do what you tell us to do. I bind the powers of Satan in the name of Jesus that come against the children of God. Um, you're not going to be allowed, Satan, to have part nor lot in what's taking place in the lives of God's children. You are not going to be able to interject ridiculous ideas into the hearts and minds of God's children. God's watching over them by the power of His Spirit. God is teaching. God is leading. God is directing, and you have no part nor lot in it, devil, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father, that the, the revival will be unleashed, Father. Not, not all, uh, just talking about it in faith, Father, but the physical manifestation of the revival in this world for your glory. And, Father, whether it's getting us ready for Jesus Christ to come back and get us soon, or it's a revival that's going to break out to seize many souls given life in the name of Jesus and lives change. But that too is in preparation for Christ to come back and get us even if it's a thousand years from now. Father, we just want to be about your business. When you come back to get us, may you find us at your altars praying or in your vineyards and in your fields that are white unto harvest. Find us about the Father's business. Watch over us, Father, and protect us. Thank you, Father, for all the great testimonies coming forth about the prayers of your people and how you're protecting your children against this virus, how you're hearing the prayers of your people and your forgiveness of our sins, hearing our prayers and healing this land. We give you all the glory and the honor and praise for that. In Christ's name, amen and amen. God bless you, and we'll see you again soon.